when we look at armor of the Lord, we tend to want to put us into it. What do I have to do? How do I have to do these things? And I've looked at this passage, and I can give you both sides of it for each piece of armor, but what really stood out to me is the thing we really need to focus on is the goodness of our God and what God provided and why he says, now, I'm going to give you the exact armor you need so you don't have to worry about it. The only thing you have to do is take it. You have to put it on. And we won't get to, I, I don't believe this morning we're going to get to, how do you put on this armor? And often this is not something that I've talked about or that I hear others talk about. They talk about the armor of God and they tell you to put it on, but they don't necessarily tell you how to put it on. Lord willing, we'll come to that, but it, we probably won't get that far this morning. So I want you this morning to look at spiritual battles and the home front. And specifically, he lists several things for us. He's, he tells us, he says, now, what are the things that I'm going to want you to put on? He says, I'm going to want you to put on truth. I'm going to want you to put on righteousness. I want you to put on peace. I want you to put on faith. I want you to put on hope. I want you to uh, use the sword of the Spirit. And I want you to pray. Those are the key things that he tells us about. And let's begin going through it. We looked at truth two weeks ago. And he says, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Now, we talked about this. We have the truth. Truth in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the spirit of truth. We have the word of truth. We have the church, which is the pillar and ground of truth. The church is not truth, but the church is the one who ought to be holding that truth securely. And when it comes to truth, you have two choices. You can either believe what you perceive to be the truth, or you can believe what God says is the truth. And God says, for you to be defended, for you to be protected, you have to put on truth. You know, this is what's so amazing for us. Every day, he says, if you will put on this belt of truth, the concept here is God's given us truth. You don't have to wonder, so which is, is this right? Is this right? You can experiment in a lab, and you can say, okay, I'm going to check this out. I'm going to come to what is truth. But when you come to that point, what you're going to find is what God told you was always true. Therefore, it's really important every day that we decide, I'm going to operate on truth. It's not necessarily going to be what you have experienced. But the blessing we have is we know we have truth. He says, change them, sanctify them, set them apart with thy word. Thy word is truth. So he says, first of all, begin with truth. Second of all, he says, well, let, let me make one other point, and that is on Wednesday nights, we have been studying what is the strategy, what are the wiles of Satan? One of the wiles of Satan is to get you to be ignorant of the truth. Sometimes we quote what we hear other people say, and we assume that it's the Scripture. Maybe you say, well, I heard this at church. I heard this... But always, we've got to go back and say, what does God's word say? Maybe in your home growing up, you had a dad that really didn't do a good job. Maybe you've had a husband that is not doing a good job. 
Or you had a mom that didn't do a good job. And what's the tendency? The tendency to say is, that doesn't work. Therefore, I'm not going to go that way. I'm not going to do what Scripture says. I'm not going to be the person God tells me I should be because I didn't experience this. Just because someone fails doesn't mean that God's Word is not true. It means someone failed. And it also means that if you do what Scripture says, that's the path of blessing. So men, take your role. Ladies, take your role. Children, take your role. And isn't that what Paul taught, taught us in chapter 5, in the beginning of chapter 6, where he says, men, here's what you are to do in your homes. And you say, well, I've tried that and it didn't work with my wife. It doesn't matter. The safe place, the protection place, is to wear the belt of truth every day. Then, for you ladies, you say, I've tried doing what the scripture says. You don't know my husband when he's not here at church. You, don't, you haven't met my husband yet. I can't do this. I remember very, very clearly when I was in Iowa talking with a lady, very sweet lady. And she told me what she was doing in her home, and I said, that's not going to go well for you. I said, because God says this is the way to do it. She said, well, if, if I will listen to what my husband is saying, she said, my children will never go to church. And I told her, I said, if your children see that you aren't willing to trust God and listen to your husband, they will begin to think, that they can be in rebellion and they won't ever go to church. And when they were little, she drugged them to church and when they hit their teenage years, they never went to church again. All of a sudden we realized what happened was Satan was attacking with a lie and she was either ignorant of God's word and God's will, or she became independent of God's word and God's will, and she knew what God said, and she said, I don't think that's the best way to go. And sadly, her marriage didn't stay together. Her children no longer respected her. <coughs> And everything that she was trying to accomplish blew apart. I never questioned her motives. But you see, the problem is, every day that belt of truth is our protection. Whether it is things that happen in a church and we begin to say, oh, let's change what the scripture says because we've not seen that work well. No, God always has the right way to do things. People blow it. But the path of blessing is always in that truth. So he tells us, put on the belt of truth. Then we also looked at the point of put on righteousness. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. The last part of verse 14. We looked at that last week. This Wednesday, Lord willing, we're going to cover the next wile of Satan. Do you know the wile of Satan that he goes after people with is to make you feel indicted, to make you feel guilty, 
to make you feel that you have so blown it that there is no hope for you. Dads, I'm pretty certain some of you have experienced what I've experienced, and that is you do something wrong, you blow it, and therefore you never want to get back in that position and stand and say, hey, family, this is the direction we need to go, because you feel indicted. You say, I've made mistakes. Sometimes with our children, we're afraid to tell them, don't go down that path, because we made those same mistakes. And what I would encourage you with is, you can tell your children, Dad made the mistake. I was wrong, and I've paid the consequences for that. And I don't want you to go down that path, because I don't want you to have to suffer what I've suffered. When you're humble and you're honest, you can tell people, here's the truth. You see, this breastplate of righteousness... If it's something that God provides, it has to be the fact that our sins are forgiven. God has given us Christ's righteousness. And every day we have to remember that truth because Satan's going to come and he's going to indict you. And just as he did in the Old Testament with a priest. And what was God's response? God's response didn't say, oh no, that's a good person. God said, oh no, is not this one that I have plucked from the fire? Is not this one that I have redeemed? And every day I go forth, not because I've lived a sinless life, not because I was not a sinner, but the fact is, today I put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is in Jesus Christ. With that breastplate of righteousness now, I'm free to do right. He's given me the Holy Spirit. I can change. I don't have to stay on those old paths. And the lie that Satan's going to teach us and the attack that we're going to go through is the fact that Nobody can live that way. But the reality is you can live that way. Now we come to verse 15 this morning. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is not talking about witnessing. The shoes that they're describing would be shoes that have something in the bottom so they don't slip. We're used to athletic shoes. In fact, I, I had a pair of running shoes that were supposed to be, they were marathon shoes and they were non-slipping shoes. And even in, even in rain on slick surfaces, I never slipped. Problem was, I got used to having a little slip and so when I would be walking in the house, I would trip over my own feet because the shoes did not slip. They didn't give. You know, God says every day you need to make sure you put on these kinds of shoes. And what are these shoes of? The shoes of peace. If you're slipping, you cannot stand your ground. This morning, our dog was tugging with her um, tether. We're hoping to get a fence put in, but right now she's on a rope in the backyard. Well, she comes in the house with the rope on, we take the rope off, and from that moment on, the rope becomes her toy. And she stands there and she tugs against her rope, which is tethered outside the house. But she's on a wood floor and her feet are slipping. Sometimes as she jerks real hard, all of a sudden I'll see all four feet go up in the air and she'll land on her back. She can't tug when she's slipping. Her goal is to always get in the house far enough to where she can get on the carpet. 
and then she can really give that, that rope a show for its, uh, a run for its money. The piece here that he's describing is talking about the fact that we now have peace with God. Satan will make you think God doesn't care about you, God doesn't love you, God's not interested in you, God doesn't care what's going on in your life. And what happens is, is that we then feel all alone. It's one thing when, when, when Satan is attacking us, but it's another when we feel like God is attacking us from the backside. Who tells you that God is not interested in your good? Who tells you that God isn't, doesn't want you to be successful? Who tells you that God really hasn't told you the truth? Satan. Why does he do that? Because he wants you to feel guilty. He wants you to feel like things are not right with God. So, he says, I want you to focus on this. I want you to focus on the fact that you have peace. Peace with God. And interestingly enough, when you focus on the fact that you have peace with God, you will have the peace of God, and you will, in fact, have peace in your life. Remember what Isaiah said, God will keep you in perfect peace when you keep your mind on him. Why? Because you trust in him. This peace of God is so important in our lives because the whole world is uncertain. The whole world is trying to figure out who their friends are, who their enemies are. And God says, because of Jesus Christ, I've made peace with you. You can have peace with me. He says, um, the word here, preparation, has the idea of, I'm sorry, um, the idea of preparation has the idea of readiness. Readiness of this peace, this good news of peace. And then he says in verse 16, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. What has God given us? Is this our faith? Or what faith is this that it's talking about? Like I said, my tendency is to make everything about me. So it's me going out and sharing the gospel of peace. It's my faith. It's my righteousness. It's my ability to hang on to the truth. But you realize these are all God's armor. These are all things that God's provided. And what does he tell us here? He says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Here's how this would work. They would begin attacking from the outside, but then they would shoot arrows into the middle. So now you've got fires burning on the inside. So what happens to us? We begin to not only fight these battles, but we've got these burning questions on the inside. Is this really true? Can I really trust God's provisions? Faith built on the character of God, but faith specifically, I would submit to you faith the body of faith, the doctrines of faith. 
take this shield, the protection, this, it was about a two foot by four foot shield that they could then link together. I'm sure you've heard different ones talk about it. They could link together and they could be protected. And the fiery darts would be, would be shot and it would hit this leather shield that was soaked in water so that it wouldn't burn. What are the doctrines of faith that so protect us? I find it fascinating that the Apostle Paul spent the first three chapters giving us the shield of faith that we would need so that when these arrows are being shot in, we don't have the questions about, is this really the way it is? Let's back up and look at chapter 1, which is where we did our scripture reading this morning. Notice what God says. He says, grace and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. There's nothing lacking that God has not provided for us. That's a really important doctrine. As he hath, and then we're going to hit some words here. We're going to hit words like chosen. We're going to hit words like predestinate. And those words, again, cause fear when you look at a man-based system. We struggle with predestination and we say, so who's predestined to be saved? That means God predestined some people not to be saved. We struggle with foreknowledge because we say, God knew, therefore I don't have a choice. We struggle with this whole concept of being chosen because then it looks like God is not a gracious God because if he chose some, that means he didn't choose some others. But look at the text. And let me encourage you, let me put these three words into position for you so that it's easy to remember. All right. Foreknowledge is an attribute of God. He's omniscient, right? We would all say God's omniscient. God couldn't be God if he didn't know all things. Foreknowledge is an attribute of God. That's not an action of God. That's an attribute. So, God couldn't be God if he didn't know. That doesn't put any change in what his offer to you has been. He knows because he's God. That's an attribute. Now, look at foreknowledge. Let's look at chosen and predestination. And look at it according to the text. Predestination and choosing. He's chosen. Those are actions of God. Those are things that he did. Now look and see what he chose us to do. Verse 4. He hath chosen us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now think about that doctrine for just a moment and how it quenches the fiery darts of the, of, of the devil. When he can, when it tells us God chose us in him, there is now a a subset, those that are in him. He has chosen those people to be holy and without blame before him in love. Satan says, there's no way you can live that way. And you say, God's word says, God chose me to be holy. God's word chose me, God's word tells me he chose me to be without blame before him in love. Those words are specifically directed at saved people not unsaved people. It has nothing to do with choosing one, two, one, two. You go to heaven, you don't. You go to heaven, you don't. That's not the text. 
Here is an action of God, and the action of God is you as a believer, he has chosen each one of us that we would be holy and without blame. So what does that mean today? Can I, can I see victory in my life over these old habits? Yes or no? Can I see victory? God chose me to be that way. So I can't say today, I just can't change. I can't quit that. That's, that, that's a sin that is too difficult for me. Do you see the lie of Satan? And do you see why knowing, putting on this armor and putting on the body of doctrines, the faith, now it does believe, you know, we still have to choose to believe, but it's not an incredible faith. It's a credible faith. God's told us what we need to know and we've seen God work, and God's told us, I've already predestined you, I've already chosen you, that you would be holy and without blame. So today, when Satan says, can't help it, go ahead and do it, oh no, I don't have to do that. I don't have to live that way. You see, he taught us the doctrine, and then he gives the application at the end. Let's go on to the next one. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. The word adoption here has changed in our culture compared to what it was then. Then it was adoption means the maturity, the placing of a son. In the Jewish culture today, we would say it's his bar mitzvah. As a 13-year-old boy... Your bar mitzvah meant you've now, you're now under the law. You're now able to enjoy the full benefits. You're no longer a child. So a bar mitzvah was a really big deal. What does God say? I've predestinated each of you believers to reach full maturity. Beloved, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. You see what the scripture is telling us? God predestinated us to become mature. God predestinated you as a believer. You're not stuck where you were. Not only do you not have to give in to those things, but you will become a mature child. You will now become that man, that woman that God designed you to be. And we believe that lie. Well, I just, you know, those are super Christians and I can't ever get there. I'll never enjoy the blessings that God has for me. Do you see how these words have been so twisted to turn into a doctrinal position that is a skewed doctrinal position? If you read the text, it tells us right away what we believe about these three key issues. So, knowing what we know, do these words tell us that you don't have a choice this morning to receive Christ or don't receive Christ? Absolutely not. You have a choice. You're responsible for that choice. What do we know? Does God know who's going to believe? Yes. Does that change the fact that you have a choice? No. Now, as we go on, 
So what do we see here when it talks about doctrine dealing with these internal fires where he says, above all, take the shield of faith, take the shield of doctrine upon you. Learn what the scripture says and use that to fight Satan. Best example you'll ever find in scripture, Matthew chapter 4. What did Jesus do when he was attacked? He used doctrine. Doctrine is important in the church. You can't just go to church and just say, well, God loves everybody, and let's go out and tell people that God loves everybody, and we just want to see everyone saved. We do want to see everyone saved, and we do want to go out there, but we need to know what God's Word says beyond just the simple doctrine of the gospel. Because it's the doctrine that allows us to see Satan defeated. Literally, everything that he's shooting in, everything that he's lobbing in, these fiery darts, these things that stick in our minds, and we go back and we have to say, no, God's word says this. And that's the reason why we can have victory. Now let's go to the next one. He says... And take the helmet of salvation. Again, this is not talking, obviously he's talking to saved people, right? Everything in the book of Ephesians has been saved people. So when he says, take the helmet of salvation, is he saying get saved again? Couldn't be. What do we know the word salvation means? It's the hope of deliverance. When we say, I'm saved, what do we say? I know I am delivered from the punishment, and I am now saved for a life in heaven, saved with God. So he says, and take the helmet of, literally the word there is hope or deliverance, he says, I want you to put on this helmet of hope, of deliverance. In doctrine, what would we say that doctrine is? That's eschatology. The doctrine of the last things. We live in a society today that uh, I remember a man at the last church where he said, I, I don't understand those things. It doesn't really matter. Christians all disagree on eschatology, so I just don't worry about it. It really does matter if you believe in amillennialism, premillennial. Are we going to be taken out before the, the millennium? How about pre-trib? Will we be taken out before the tribulation? All of a sudden, how do those doctrines impact the way I live today? Well, let's just take a moment. Let's look over at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And let's read. What's the doctrine? Beginning at verse 8. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. And he defines what salvation is. Look at verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Deliverance, who died for us, that whether we 
Wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort one another. Comfort yourselves together and edify uh, one another, even as ye also do. What did he just say? He just said, what is the, the, uh, the hope of salvation that God hath not appointed us to wrath? So all of a sudden, now we begin saying, what do I know about eschatology? What do I know about the last things? And I know this, God has said, he will come and he will take his people away. The word rapture doesn't show up in our Bible, but we do have the word caught up. It means to snatch, or we have the Latin word rapture. You see, the confidence we have today is that though God will judge the world, we have already been judged. We will not go through that tribulation time. So how do we live? How do we encourage? How, how does that change us? First Thessalonians 4 tells us, he says, comfort one another with these words, because he says, oh, I, I don't want you to sorrow like other people sorrow as people who don't have any hope. We have hope. We will be delivered. We will be taken out. So when Satan comes and says, Oh, God doesn't love you. God's going to put you through all this stuff. You'll never, what good is your salvation? He says, no, no, put on that helmet of hope. Put on that which protects your mind against what Satan is trying to tell you. And every day, each one of these pieces that we've covered are so important. You've got to begin with truth and say, look, I'm going to do what God's word says regardless of what my experiences have been. Because I've been in a sinful world, and it has skewed the look of things. It's like trying to grab a fish or trying to spear a fish through the water. And all of a sudden, you see the refraction and where you're going to throw the spear. The fish isn't there. That's exactly what Satan does to us every day. Satan's trying to get us to act on our feelings, to act on our experiences, rather than starting with God's word and saying, God's word is truth. If God says, this is how I ought to treat my children, this is the way I'm going to treat my children. If God's word says, this is the way I'm going to treat my spouse, this is the way I'm going to treat my spouse. If God's word says, this is the way I'm going to work in the workplace, I'm going to work that way in the workplace, not because Satan says it's going to be successful, but because God says, this is the way to do it. You see, when we become a people that are locked in on truth, and we become a people that are locked in on the fact, it's not me. It's God's righteousness. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. I am what I am today because of Jesus Christ, not because I was a good person. And I today, because of Jesus Christ, have peace with God. Therefore, I can have peace with other people. He says, as much as lies within you, live at peace with all men. Even Christians, we get caught up sometimes where we like to go around kicking beehives. And, and for some reason, we feel justified in that. Say, so I'm doing this for God. He's called us to peace. I can't make people live at peace with me, but I can choose to live at peace with people. And it changes the way you live. Think of how angry our society is today. How many people are just always ready to bite your head off? I was riding my bike this week. I looked across traffic, and I had a guy driving by, 
decide he was going to instruct me on how to ride bikes. And I told Cindy, I said, I feel bad for that guy. Do you know my, what kind of pressure that guy is under that he has to tell everybody in the world everything that they're doing wrong all the time? We don't have to live that way. Hope things go well for you. If someone's doing something that's not the truth, we can go to them because we love them and God loves that person. We can say, I don't think that's going to go well. You can choose what you're going to do. I can't stop you. I'm still going to like you. Well, I'm still going to love you. I may not always like you. But the reality is, I'm going to be at peace. You know, the amazing thing is then when people see that they've gotten themselves in a jam, they're free to come back to you because now, one, you're not an I told you so kind of person, and two, they know you're not angry with them. Because I'm at peace with God, I don't have to be fighting everyone. In fact, the battle that we take out, we don't wage war, we wage peace. Do you see how this totally, you've got to put this on because every day, I'll tell you, if it's not that the doctrine tells me this, if it's not that God, that Jesus Christ's righteousness covers me to where I don't have to feel indicted by everybody, and I don't have to always go around going, oh yeah, well, well you did this too, and we're trying to get the look off of us because we know we've done wrong. No, I'm covered in Christ's righteousness. Yes, I was a sinner. I'm saved by grace. I was a rascal. I was proud. I would say things about people. Christ's blood covered me. So I have peace with God, so now I can have peace with others. You know, I... Sometimes I still do, but... I don't have to expect people to do right. In fact, unless they're believers and unless they've locked in on wearing the armor, what should I really expect? They're not going to do right. And in a body like this, do you know what? It would be wonderful if every one of us every day put on every piece of armor. But I can tell you this, as you start going through this, you start looking at which piece of armor do, do I regularly forget to put on, that's where Satan's going to attack you. And why does Paul do this for us? He says, finally. He said, you know, I've taught you all this doctrine. I've told you, taught you all this practical information. But without this last section of chapter 6, it's not going to work, is it? Because we know all those things, but how do we practically do these things? And that is you've got to have God's armor. It's his. He provides it. You just have to put it on. Christians can get so discouraged that we begin, as the, to use the, the kind scriptural term, King James term, we despair even of life. In common language, what is that? We have thoughts of suicide. I just can't handle this. It's too much. It is the helmet of hope that gives us the grace each day to go on. See, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Abraham talked about he was just a sojourner. 
my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's golden shore. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. It's not about this world. I met a guy at uh, Costco. You were talking to him last night. I've been in to see him three times this week. And he was trying to sell me something and he was trying to guess what I do for an occupation. And I didn't tell him. And finally, the third time I went in, he goes, okay, you're a politician. Because I had told him, I'm a people person. I said, no, not a politician. He goes, you're a lawyer? No. You're a judge? No. And he went down this long list of things and finally said, I give up. I have no idea. What do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And he just kind of melted. And he was from Utah, and I said, are you Mormon? And he said, well, he said, I used to be. I'm not anymore. And so I went back last night to invite him to church because he had said he would have today off. And I gave him a tract, and I said, this is what explains what's given purpose in my life. When we remember, this isn't our home, then stuff's not that important. And I had told him that. I said, I like your stuff. I like what you're selling. But I said, but I want you to know this. I said, people are more important than stuff. And what had started this whole thing was he was trying to sell me something. I said, I'll come back. I'll talk to you. But I said, I've got an appointment with someone and I can't be late for that appointment. You know what we have in Christ so changes the way we look at life. We have hope. The helmet of salvation, the helmet of deliverance, Satan can't get me. And whatever God allows into my life, and Satan thinks he has me, do you know God is using that to work yet a far greater part of glory to change me. I've had some ugly things said about me and done to me as everyone here has had done to them. And do you know God used every one of those things for my good? Don't get me wrong, I didn't like it. And I don't want to go through it again. And I constantly, Satan would use those in my life to battle, except I have truth, I have righteousness, I have peace, I have faith, I have doctrine, I have eschatology, which drives me to know the end. 